Chapter Nine of God Goes to Murderers Row by Reverend M. Raymond, O.C.S.O. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Deeper depths and broader horizons. Since mid-February, in each of the letters Mrs. Leona Penny had been receiving week after week from Eddyville, Tom exhorted her not to worry. But it was only as God was turning summer's greens to red, gold, russet, and flame that she received letters that were distinctive because so substantially spiritual. She marveled at the depths her boy was touching and the broader horizons he was opening to her view. It was months before she realized that it was the Magdalens of Detroit and Louisville who were exerting a subtle influence on her son's mind and heart. As they wrote him their ordinary thoughts and told him of their daily experiences, they were deepening his soul and giving him broader vistas of the spiritual world. Tom Penny found nothing ordinary about their thoughts or their thinking, and the experiences they considered simple were to him utterly sublime. The more he learned of their life, its object, principles, and practices, the more he absorbed a spirit about which America and the world at large, in this anxious, hurried, and very confused twentieth century, knows too little. Some will call it faith and they will not be wrong. But that substantive needs an adjective. It needs to be called vital and vitalizing, real and realizing faith. It needs to be described as energetic and energizing faith. For these Magdalens believe what they profess to believe. They live what they have learned and preach by their practices. God to them is not a word, a phantom, figure, convenience, convention, or even a conviction. He is no distant, dim, depersonalized blind force. He is their ultimate, their absolute, their all. To them he is as familiar as a father, more real than reality, the great, obvious, invisible, whom they discover at every turn and turning. To them he is their continual creator, who holds them ever in the hollow of his hands. Divine providence to them is no dead theologic concept. It is their morning's coffee, their day's work, their physical aches and mental distresses, as well as their innumerable hourly joys. To them God is God, and they are his children. In his prison cloister, Penny was assimilating these truths, and with a fluency that astonishes, was pouring them out as his written thoughts. In one letter he had said to his mother, Have courage and patience. Our troubles are only furrows which God makes in our hearts, in order to sow his graces there. If injustices are patiently borne, they will give at the end of day a peace that is extraordinary and a joy that is rare. For the seed cast by God has taken root in his blossoming. In another, God has certainly given you courage and strength, mother. My suffering is nothing, dear, in comparison to yours, and that is precisely what hurts me most. If dying would relieve the pain in your heart, I would pray God to take me today. But it is not so simple as all that. We must do God's will, confident that it is for our best. I wish I knew something more to say that would cheer you. It will not help your heartache for me to tell you over and over how sorry I am. If it did, I would write ten times a day, rebuking myself for the suffering I have brought upon you. But all I say now is, ask God for guidance and trust Him, knowing well that all this will one day bring not only relief but reward. The mother not only trusted God, she thanked him for the miracle he had wrought in the soul of her firstborn. Late in the fall she discovered the source of the change. It came in a letter in which he was detailing their possible supports. With surprising force he had written, Mother, I know the sisters cannot help financially, 
these women take a solemn vow to serve god without pay once they have given up all their earthly possessions and inheritance to charity they have dedicated their lives to the spread of christianity throughout this vain cruel treacherous and transitory world and to me mother that is positive proof of the divinity of the catholic church many people have been misled and hold very false opinions about nuns some think they have been disappointed in love how wrong they are such people cannot begin to realize the beautiful lives of sacrificial love these sisters lead nor can they appreciate all the good that has been accomplished by their many organizations and charitable works works which shall continue till the end of time there is one order within an order mother that i would like to tell you about they are the sister magdalens and are governed by the sisters of the good shepherd girls or women with problems go to the good shepherd to have them straightened out many of them do not wish to leave so attracted are they by the goodness of god so they remain and devote their lives entirely to him many of them write to me i'll send you one of their letters i cry like a baby when i read many of them they are so filled with saintly simplicity and childlike faith the very next day mrs penny had opportunity to judge for herself for tom had forwarded a letter from sister magdalen of st helena its second page ran I want you to know, Mr. Penny, how much we appreciate your offer to say a Hail Mary for each of us every day. When you say mine, will you kindly remember this intention? A young girl is going wrong. She sees her sin, but has no desire to change. Ask Our Lady to change her heart. How pleased we were to learn you admire St. Francis de Sales. His writings can be depended upon, for he not only preached perfection, he practiced it. I came across two of his quotations today. Do not be disturbed about your imperfections, but always rise up bravely after each fall. Make a new beginning daily. There is no better means of progress in the spiritual life than to be continually beginning afresh. Isn't that consoling? St. Teresa of the Child Jesus tells that God gets great glory from our falls, for they make us practice humility and contrition. Your thoughts on reparation are very beautiful, Mr. Penny. You know that is our life. Our holy rule tells us to make reparation, not only for our own sins, but to expiate the sins of others. Retreat masters have told us that our rule is the fourth degree of humility, meaning that it is pure love of God. It tells us we should love to live unknown and despised. That is not easy for human nature, but it is possible. St. Augustine has said, If others can do it, so can I. You know St. Augustine's youth was very wild but once he became converted he just flew to perfection such saints prove to us that we do not have to crush our human natures but simply turn those very same human natures toward god look at dorothy day she was a communist she is now fighting for the catholic faith not only with the same ardor but with the self-same methods she used as a communist but now she strives to save souls for god you see all she did was change her object we can do the same the following week mrs penny was surprised to receive a letter directly from detroit and she was more surprised when she read it dear mother since your tom has adopted us as his sisters he has made us your daughters and since we are forty-nine you see what a large heart you must have to hold so many children we want you to know dear mother that we are praying for you begging god to give you the grace to bear this cross he has laid upon your shoulders you can gain a lot of merit for yourself and your loved ones if you accept this trial with a submissive and humble heart 
think dear mother of what our saviour had to suffer for us think also of what this war is doing to the hearts of millions of mothers you at least can keep in touch with tom and you know where he is oh i know it is futile to try to console the heart of a mother but we want you to realize that we are very proud to know your son and are most grateful to the priest who introduced us we feel that your tom is a chosen soul and that he received a wonderful grace from god when he gave him his faith if you are able to write during this time of trial we will be so glad to hear from you we know nothing of the trouble except that the supreme penalty is to be paid after all who are we to condemn a fellow mortal we are all under sentence of death and shall pass on sooner or later may god keep you in his holy heart for time and eternity lovingly and with the deepest sympathy mother and sister magdalens of detroit blessed be god after such words mrs penny nodded in perfect understanding when she read in one of tom's later letters the magdalens of detroit have been my very own sisters in every way i will have sisters robert ann and mary laurentia tell you about them judging from the next few letters tom wrote to lexington sisters robert ann and mary laurentia did not tell mrs penny about the magdalens but all unwittingly tom penny was telling the two sisters what a grace from god the magdalens were to him to sister robert ann he wrote on october second nineteen forty two i was overjoyed to hear of mother's visit with you when you love someone very much don't you want to share their joy with them she has shared my sorrow and disgrace god knows i would give my life to know that she had received a joy greater than her sorrow my own experience proves to me what the true faith really means and i know she would feel the same way oh yes i have my dark days but don't we all and god wins all arguments it is very painful to learn that some people are ashamed of ever being acquainted with me it is more painful to find out that those whom i have loved and favored and looked upon as friends have talked against me but the worst shock comes when i am told that those whom i have trusted have turned against me and violated my confidence just because others are against me i often wonder if all this is but a guilty conscience speaking what is our conscience sister but the very voice of god when he is well pleased with us does not our conscience tell us so and when he is displeased oh i can readily understand why so many saints have adopted as their own the prayer of the psalmist o my god be thou not silent to me lest if thou be silent i become like them that go down into the pit no better prayer could be said to remind us of the danger of becoming deaf to the voice of god i know i haven't said anything you don't already know much better than i but i feel very much better for having said what i have the slim director of nurses was feeling quite superior because of this letter but sister mary laurentia with the wisdom born of experience bided her time two days later she walked nonchalantly into the office of the director of nurses and very dully said here's something that might do good to your soul before sister robert ann could open the letter the elder nun was gone gray-blue eyes danced a moment in merriment over sister mary laurentia's humorous ways but then clouded as the nimble mind wondered what specific antidote for soul sickness the letter held it was dated october fourth nineteen forty two dear sister mary laurentia i would have written you when i wrote to sister robert ann but i had already written so much i feared captain rankin would be asking me to publish it in book form if i added another page so i let it go then too i thought the court would do something friday i do hope you have fully recovered from your cold 
I am enjoying the best of health, and I am almost pleased with myself. What I mean is that I am very pleased that God has given me the necessary grace to acknowledge and respond to his love. For a long time, sister, yes, since time began, people have been in search of happiness. Some have traveled very far and risked all kinds of danger in their effort to find it. But it is only necessary to open our hearts and remove the obstacles which prevent God's grace from coming to us, and we have a happiness as perfect as one can have on earth. I can hardly hope to know pleasure in my present position, but true peace is always within my reach. Sister, there are thousands of ponderous books which have been written to learned men on the means to attain happiness, but altogether they do not say as much for the peace of the soul as those four little words in the Our Father, Thy will be done. I had a letter from Father Eugene yesterday, in which he marveled at the progress I have made in grasping the faith so quickly and with so little aid, lacking as I do, he said, the assistance of an instructor. I do not fail to remind him that I had two living guardian angels to guide me. Later that morning, when Sister Mary Laurentia happened to pass the director of nurses in the corridor, she quietly said, I hope our soul is deepening as rapidly as Mr. Penny's. Sister Robert Ann stopped the elder nun with the question, Did you send him de Cassad's little book? De Cassad? Don't know the man or his little book. Oh, sister, well, was it Lehodi's holy abandonment? What are you talking about? You and Tom Penny. He has learned the doctrine of abandonment to God's will more quickly and practically than any one I ever met. I want to know who taught him. I was never Tom Penny's spiritual directress. I was only allowed to act as portress both here in Lexington and down there at Eddyville. But I saw a rather dignified nun from Nazareth sitting beside him at both places. Perhaps she... Will you stop teasing? Will you stop fussing? If Tom Penny has really learned the doctrine, thank God, and let it go at that. Is that a confession you're making? Of what? Of having sent him the books? My charming child, believe me when I tell you, I did not even know those books were in existence. Well, someone must have sent him something just like that. My last letter and your letter here. Oh, so you've read my letter. What did you think of it? Did the incense he threw your way please you? Oh, you. What pleases me is his ability to say, Thy will be done. What I'm puzzled about is who taught him to say it. As Sister Mary Laurentia tucked the letter in a fold of her habit, she reminded her friend that they were not the only ones who wrote to Tom Penny. She pointed out that Father George, Father Eugene, Father Brian, or even Sister Francesca could have taught him. But, she said as they started down the corridor again, if you ask me, I'd say most likely it was the Magdalens of Detroit. Cloister contemplatives are usually far ahead of us in such matters. Of course, there's always the possibility that Tom could have learned it himself. That boy is no dumbbell, you know, and even if he were, I need not tell you that God's grace can pierce the thickest of skulls. Look at me. For all her seeming indifference and offhandedness, Sister Mary Laurentia was as deeply impressed as her friend, and equally as curious about the wider horizons that were opening out before Tom Penny. The letter of the following week, dated October 9th, deepened the impression and sharpened the curiosity, for Tom let himself go on a favorite theme, the Mother of God. He wrote, Dear Sister Mary Laurentia, your precious letter came today. 
It is beginning to grow uneasy about you, sister. I am glad you are so much better. I am still hanging on, reading, meditating, making resolutions, and trying to live up to them. Sometimes I think a fellow is much better off ignorant. Yes, ignorance can be bliss. No, sister, I am only kidding. I love every blessed grain of knowledge I possess, but I do have my dark days. I read a short time ago of some pious person who always kept a book on his table or desk called The Glories of Mary. He called it his spiritual thermometer. I thought so much of the idea I adopted it myself. And it works. You see, when I am faithful to grace, a page or two of this little book fills my soul with a heavenly peace and joy. It enlightens and invigorates me. But if I am negligent or lukewarm, it wearies me. Do you see what has happened, sister? It is not the splendor of the light which is diminished, it is the eye of the soul which no longer can stand its splendor. At such times I pray and labor to restore to the eyes of my soul their purity of vision and strength, and soon the thermometer rises, or rather my soul mounts up and soon finds itself in unison with and praises the Blessed Virgin. As long as we are pure, sister, I feel there is an intimate relation between us and the Blessed Virgin, which manifests itself in a thrill of joy each time our intellects are occupied with a thought of her, or our lips murmur a prayer in her honor. The prayers I prefer are those addressed to Mary. Books please me more if they speak of Mary. The rosary for me is a special source of real peace. It is more than that. It is my safeguard. I feel that so long as I recite it, despite my weariness, distaste, or preoccupations, I would never go far wrong. Devotion to Mary is to me like a beacon light placed on the road which leads to God. Father Eugene could have enlightened the nun on the source of the book Tom now claimed as his body makum, but the aging passionist had a puzzle of his own in the letter Tom had just written him. There was such an other otherworldliness about it that the experienced priest could only marvel. The prisoner had written on October 14th. We are very happy to hear from you again. You must remember, dear father, that I have no specific duties other than reading, writing, eating, and sometimes sleeping. That is why I may be able to answer letters more promptly than a godly man like yourself, who is actually doing something for God. I find that the useful employment of time is one of the hardest virtues to acquire. To commence promptly, to work steadily, to continue with constancy, to interrupt one's work amiably, to resume it calmly, to finish it slowly, is the mark of a strong and virtuous soul. And believe me, Father, I have plenty of experience trying to practice this virtue, for there is not an hour out of the twenty-four that does not have its interruption and distraction. You would hardly think that under the circumstances, would you? But it is true. Yes, Father, I have read about everything I can get my hands on. I am afraid my one great failure has been impatience. You see, when I like something, I never quite get my fill of it. So let's hope my former weakness will prove to be my salvation. I like prayer. Prayer has been a source of great consolation to me, Father. But let us not forget that wonderful little sister Robert Ann. You know she has been sister, brother, friend, and at times even my father confessor. Father, at this hour particularly, I feel that I am not alone on this earth. And whatever the future may hold for me, I know that I have someone to guard, protect, console, and love me. The good priest may have wondered where Tom got his idea about the proper use of time, and that desire to fill his day with profitable occupations, 
but had he read the letter the condemned man sent to sister mary laurentia on october seventeenth he would have seen that it was no idle thought or passing speculation with the prisoner for on that day tom had written you asked me to make an order for reading etc sister i have a system shall i call it i wake at five a m i say the usual morning prayers if by the time i have finished them i have not excited myself to the proper feeling i make the stations and these have never failed no matter how distracted i have been then i can really make my acts of faith hope and love my acts of sorrow humility desire and perfect contrition next comes spiritual communion after that if there is any time i read the legends of the blessed virgin until breakfast time eight a m after breakfast i either draw or read after i finish the paper this brings us up to lunch at ten thirty then i read a novel or talk to the boys they are all awake in the afternoon at one p m i pretend i am asleep and say five decades of the rosary sometimes more then i rest and read just whatever appeals to me at two thirty p m we eat again then i write whatever letters i have to write at five thirty p m i walk for an hour then i lie down read more or write more whatever the occasion demands to-night i shall write for it is now five p m and i haven't written sister robert ann yet about eight p m i say the thirty days prayer to the blessed virgin then go to bed and begin with the our father and say every prayer i can think of until i fall asleep being mindful of my friends those dear to me the men in the service their mothers also my enemies even the bitterest ones now that's about the way i live each day with a few exceptions here and there if you have any suggestions i will gladly follow them had a letter from father d he is in turner field albany georgia he asks about both of you and says he may drop you a line believe me that is about all he will drop mother holy name of the good shepherd in detroit wrote me a very encouraging letter and the magdalens added about twelve pages telling me of their monastery their habits etc there are forty-nine of them and they all pray for me and ask me to join them in their grand silence hour from one to two p m so i offer that as holy hour to console our lord repair my own offences and those others who displease him i say my beads mentally isn't that all right i'll tell the rest to sister robert ann may our lady protect you and god bless you always but all he told sister robert ann was i have just told sister mary laurentia all i know so prepare yourself for a very dull letter i have gained quite a few correspondents all catholics and sister it really makes a difference to correspond with people who think alike and live alike and love alike even as bad as i have been i see now what i might have been i never knew there were so many kind people in the world but how could i i never went to the trouble to look for them oh merciful god how really ignorant i have been i have one great consolation sister god gave me an opportunity to save my soul i lost it but he has given me a second chance this time my job is to see that it stays in his keeping surely i can do that haven't heard from father eugene for two weeks father lives was here wednesday but brought me only disappointment but i know god understands so i do not worry did you notice the biblical contest in the register i am following it i would send him my replies if i thought it would do any good i have answered all the questions so far generally there is a catch to them some place 
Write any time, sister, and do forgive me my poor effort tonight. I'll make up for it next time, or shall I not make up for it in prayer right now for you and for your works? One week later, Tom was at his table answering a letter from Sister Mary Laurentia. She had told him that Sister Robert Ann did not look so well to her. Tom replied, I grasp your meaning about Sister Robert Ann's appearance, and I can tell you the cause of it. You both have the souls of spiritual giants and try to carry the loads of physical giants. Sometimes it works, but sometimes, well, I suppose it is all very pleasing to God. I will remember to say the prayer you suggest. Many times I go through my prayers when I do not feel a bit like it, and always feel better for having done so. Unquestionably, many things, if patiently borne, bring us at the end of day an extraordinary calm and joy. He had just put a period to that sentence when over the penitentiary's public address system came the cry, News flash! Fine for Kentucky! Tom looked up. The Kentucky Court of Appeals today upheld electric chair death sentences, meted out against a scar-faced carpenter, a cafe operator, and a drug-addicted greenskeeper for the robbery murder of Marion Miley, attractive golf star, and her fifty-two-year-old mother. Unless the three men, now in Eddyville Penitentiary, file a petition for a review of their cases within thirty days, or receive executive clemency, they will die shortly after midnight, New Year's Day, 1943. Recently described as in good spirits, the three, Tom Penny, 33, Lexington Carpenter, Robert H. Anderson, 37, Louisville Bar Proprietor, and Raymond Skeeter Baxter, 28, Lexington Country Club Greenskeeper, were convicted of murder last December in the Fayette Circuit Court, and sentenced to die in the chair. Then they appealed in Kentucky's highest court. The High Tribunal, in separate opinions written by Court Commissioner Charles Morris, agreed unanimously that the three men had been given fair and impartial trials, and that there was nothing in the records to justify reversals. The commercial program on the air at the time was then resumed, and as an electrical transcription of Bing Crosby's voice floated out over the corridor, Tom stared ahead blankly. Soon he heard Anderson calling, "'Hey, Penny!' "'Yeah? Did you hear that news flash?' I did. "'Hey, Skeeter!' cried Bob a little louder. When a thin, excited voice answered, Bob asked, "'Did you hear that?' "'Yeah. What must we do now? Appeal to the governor?' Anderson's laugh was mockery itself. "'The governor, hell! Do you think any politician gives a damn about any prisoner?' "'No, Skeeter. We've got to appeal to Penny.' "'What do you say, Tom?' cried the excited Baxter." I say I'm greatly relieved, not a bit disappointed, and can't think of a better way to begin the new year than by dying right. Before comment was forthcoming, Tom bent over and continued his letter to Sister Mary Laurentia. They just announced a news flash. Our appeals were denied. Well, sister, surely God knows best. If that is his will, I have no complaint. He sat back to consult the nun's letter before going on. But before he had located his next topic, Anderson was after him again. Penny, it's too damn bad you didn't go on the stage. The theater missed another Edwin Booth when it missed you. But cut the acting for five minutes, will you, and talk turkey. There's nothing final about that lousy thing you just heard. There are other courts, other judges, other lawyers. We all can have new trials if you only produce new evidence. Then, in a much more conciliatory and even an ingratiating tone, the ex-nightclub owner went on. Listen, Tom, I've always played pretty square with you. I was never tight with the Guild. 
Now there's plenty of it out there waiting for you and yours. Get me out of here, boy, and I'll never let you down. Neither you nor anyone belonging to you will ever want for anything. How about telling the world about Buford Stewart? What does Nicholson think of that story? Let's leave him out of it. I can tell you absolutely. A statement from you, to the effect that Stewart was the guy who bumped off the dames, will make the news flash we just heard a lot of hooey. We'll all get new trials, and our mouthpieces will have to be pretty dumb not to get us new sentences. What do you say? When no answer was immediately forthcoming, Anderson added quite nonchalantly, Just remember, Tom, the cow jumped over the moon. Meaning? Meaning that the cat and the fiddle can be opened up again, and that would mean easy street for you and your mother, and all belonging to you. Don't be a fool, you fool. I won't answered Tom so promptly and cheerfully that Anderson did not know whether he had been triumphant or was being taunted. Penny went back to his letter. He continued, You asked me about the parable of the labors in the vineyard. I've always accepted it as a way of expressing God's unlimited love and mercy, a way of saying that each of us who responds with all he or she has will share equally. It hardly seems fair, though, sister, that I should merit an equal share with you. The next morning he added a postscript to his letter. P.S. I hardly know how I feel this morning, but I think, rather relieved, expresses it fully. I don't know what course I will take, if any, but if I do not take any, I have until New Year's Day. I hate to give up without a struggle, and yet I see hardly any use in struggling. If you see the chief, will you ask him about my chances? He should know better than anyone. A lawyer will promise anything if he sees the possibility of a little money for himself knowing all the time that nothing can be done. That is why I would like the opinion of someone disinterested professionally. If I am asking anything contrary to your rules, disregard it, sister. About the court's decision, I don't know anything to say except that I was not disappointed. Of course I am sorry, not for myself, but for the few who will suffer and grieve for me. I must keep busy now more than ever, so as to keep my mind off of it. So if I write often, don't be alarmed. If only I could say some comforting word to my poor mother at this moment, I know she has heard it. I shall write to Sister Robert Ann tomorrow. You know I shall continue to pray for you. You shall be thought of and even mentioned by name in my last prayer, Sister, for any of my prayers will be incomplete if I omitted either one of you. Oh, Sister, how I would like to be all you would have me to be. I do try, and try hard. I may not have time to complete the quiz and the register. It goes on for eleven weeks, but I'll keep up with it until the end. May God bless you always. The next week was one of mental and emotional confusion for the scar-faced carpenter, as the papers were fond of calling him. He had written truth when he told Sister Mary Laurentia that the news flash had given him relief. For the long, hot summer and the early fall had been an anxious, trying time because of the suspense. Every morning he had scanned the paper for a report on the activities of the Court of Appeals. Now no longer need he look. It was also true that the decision arrived at held no disappointment. From the day he heard the flimsy grounds on which the petitions had been filed, he had no real hopes for a reversal or a new trial. But this technicality of the law had afforded him little. It had postponed what his deeper soul knew to be inevitable, and his shallower soul reveled in the postponement. Now that the technicality had been brushed aside, he had to face the naked fact that unless some new technicality was employed, he would begin the new year by dying. At times this prospect pleased him. 
busy as he had kept himself while in confinement it was still confinement and it told on him secondly he knew we all must die some day somehow he was one of the very few who knew the day the hour and the manner he considered himself fortunate in many ways for after all death in the chair would be almost painless and most certainly would be swift and he was not afraid no the nuns and priests had told him what the waters of baptism do to a soul yes he was ready to die even anxious but then he would think of his mother the longer he lived the longer he spared her the heart-splitting experience of final separation true he had disgraced her but he would never forget that embrace at fayette county jail she loved him still seemingly she loved him more now than ever his letters were life to her if he fought his case he could give her that much more happiness and she was old could not god in his great mercy take her before he took him then there was anderson tom knew his lawyers were clever they would find some loophole in the law if there was any existing and bob needed time he was not ready to die yet his mind was not right his heart was not right his soul whenever penny thought of the eternity awaiting his chunky companion he shuddered and prayed he did not have the same worries about baxter somehow or other he felt god would be merciful to the young hophead there was no hope of converting him as far as tom could see but he felt the ex-greenskeeper was living up to the little light his thin mind perceived and this gave him peace when his mother's letter arrived five days after the court's decision tom studied the lines she had written and finally decided to utilize every technicality the law provided in order to prolong his life on earth to the utmost once the decision was made he sat into his table and wrote to his mother asking her to call his lawyers for advice adding when you call will you ask them to send me the exact grounds on which they petitioned for a new trial you see dear it is new evidence we will need this time so if i knew what they filed the last time i may be able to think of something new try not to worry too much it will not help i would not ask you to do this little were i not sure god expects me to make some effort but dear let me make this plain if nothing can be done please tell me this is no time for secrets let me have the plain truth then i can govern myself accordingly don't worry about it hurting me mother it can't i've passed that stage after he had folded the letter he sat back and began to think of what he should say to father donnelly only two days before the news flash he had sent his first letter to turner field in it he had said i am still waiting to hear my fate father but should hear soon i have no fear whatever of the results for with so many people praying for me whatever comes must be the holy will of god the prisoner now wondered if his letter to his mother was contradiction to or corroboration of that statement surely he had accepted the court's decision as god's will now he felt that god wanted him to make every legitimate effort to prolong his life for his mother's sake if for no other suddenly the realization that he had not actually killed either of the women rose to the surface of his consciousness he had not thought on this fact for months he took its sudden resurgence as sign that heaven wanted him to fight of course he should have talked the matter over with father libs but that good priest was always in such a hurry on the one day in the month he appeared that tom did not feel justified in detaining him for any long conference he had had to tell father george just as he had had to tell the two nazareth nuns 
although though he had been fasting and all prepared for the Eucharist, month after month he received only disappointment. However, he would always add in such letters, I make spiritual communions daily and must be contented. He made one now, and after a short thanksgiving drew a sheet of paper to him and wrote, October 27, 1942. Dear Father George, I don't suppose you heard the news flash Friday, so I'll just send the clipping and thus save space. You have been very close to me this past year, Father, and I hope it will be some comfort to you to know that you and those wonderful sisters have been my inspiration during all these dark days. God knows the sorrow that is in my aching heart. My hopes are fixed on him alone. I pray that in his infinite goodness he will not turn away, but let his merciful eyes rest on me in pity. Mother has been doing very well, Father. I have been trying to prepare her for the worst. I don't know exactly how she stood the news, for I have no one to tell me but herself. No one else in the family has written since I have been here. Father, could you come if I called for you? Do not feel bad about telling me if you cannot come. His mother wrote, as all mothers would write, that she would spend her last cent, move heaven and earth, for the sake of her son. But, as yet, she had been unable to get in touch with the lawyers. It was not an encouraging letter, but that same day, November 1st, God did send something that cheered the prisoner to such an extent that he could write to Sister Robert Anne. Thank you for your encouragement. I think I should go completely mad at times if someone like you did not reassure me. You know, sister, even though we are certain of our destiny, so long as we comply with our Lord's wishes and resign ourselves to his holy will, nevertheless it is a great comfort to be reassured. But, sister, let me tell you the resignation to his holy will is not always as easy as just saying it. Often as soon as I have said, may his holy will be done, I hurry to do something else lest my heart should cry out otherwise. Mother informs me that we will not give up until we have to, so maybe I won't go January 1st after all. Sister, it is hard for me to talk to Mother about death. Of course I don't want to give up if there is any chance for life. I don't think God would want me to, but I certainly don't want them spending money if there is no chance for me. Believe me, sister, it is not for myself that I suffer. It is my mother who is carrying the load. You know, sister, she would appreciate seeing you almost as much as I would. P.S. It certainly must have been your own and the prayers of others that have helped me through this past year. Only God knows how grateful I am. A week went by, then came a group of letters that made the prisoner look again into the depths of his soul. For months now he had been reading letters that told of abandonment, spiritual childhood, complete trust in God, and pure love for God. Letters that spoke of reparation, expiation, the art of love shown in making little sacrifices. A new world had been opened up to him through contact with the Magdalens of Detroit. On this morning in early November, he had to ask himself if he could say in all honesty that he did believe, that he did have blind trust and unbounded confidence, that he was a little child. After a good half hour searching his soul to its final fathom, he took his pen and devoted the rest of the morning to answering his mail. His first was to the Magdalens. I have just finished your most beautiful letters, and honestly, sisters, I do not know when, if ever, I enjoyed anything so much. May God bless Mother Holy Name for giving you permission to write to this penitent sinner. Sister Magdalene of St. Gertrude, I am not ashamed to confess that your beautiful letter brought a flood of tears from me. It was so very much like my dear old mother. I had a letter from her today. Part of it runs as follows. 
Only God knows how it pains me to tell you this, but the lawyers inform me there is no hope for clemency. Can you think of anything more heart-rending for a mother to tell a son? I have tried to prepare her for the inevitable. Oh, please, God, grant her the necessary courage and strength to endure. May I ask you to join me in that prayer, sisters? All I ever ask for myself is the privilege to love him. Thank you, Sister Magdalene of St. Leo. Be assured that I shall not retreat. My life is a small sacrifice in comparison to the sacrifice of our Lord. My only regret being that I have not two lives to give him. Now, Sister Magdalene of St. Felix, you must not think I am such a miser with my prayers that I cannot spare more than one Ave for each of you. I remember you many, many times a day, and often at night when I am reading, I find myself thinking of you and murmur a fervent, God bless them. And don't forget, sister, we have a date. Sister Magdalene of St. Teresa, thank you indeed for your order of the day. Henceforth you are one stronger in everything you do. Please continue my spiritual communion. That is a wonderful thing. I will convey your message of thanks to Father Brian. Sister Magdalene of St. Helena, I certainly enjoyed your letter, and I will remember your special intention. Continue to take me with you to Holy Communion, and may heaven bless you always. Sisters, I would like to write to each of you separately, but I cannot. So I extend to all my sisters my kindest regards, and will now tell you some news. The date for my execution is set for New Year's just after midnight. Now, sisters, pray at that moment, pray that he reject me not. Thank you, dear mother. Thank you for allowing the Magdalens to write. Thank you also for the messenger. And may I hear from you soon again? Please, mother. May the most just, most high, most adorable will of God be in all things done, praised, and magnified for ever. Your most grateful adoptee in Christ at the right of the cross, Thomas Penny. P.S. Sisters, cannot I offer my life for the conversion of sinners? Or should I petition for the release of the most abandoned soul in purgatory? There were other letters Penny wanted to answer that day, but he was so plagued with interruptions that he found he could not concentrate sufficiently well, so he decided to wait until the morrow. Next day, without so much as unfolding the morning paper, he sat at his table and wrote his mother. Your letter came yesterday. I know it was hard for you to give me the news, but it is better to face facts. I don't know what to tell you to do. In my letter to the lawyer, I told him some things that could be done, but I suppose he'll tell me they already have been done. And how am I to know whether they have or not? So all I can say, dear mother, is do your best and leave God do the rest. I heard from the sisters today. They told me about the visit. I am so glad you feel you can talk to them, mother. I know it helps lots. You know Sister Mary Laurentia is Austin Price's sister-in-law. She has asked him three times, and he has said he can do nothing, and I believe him. Tommy says she was coming to see you. I am surprised she has not already done so. I told her to call the lawyers. Let her do what she can, Mother. She'd never feel right if you didn't. Just remember, Mother, that whatever happens, I'm ready for it. Let that fact, dear, be a consolation to you. When he had folded that, he felt easier and hurried on to write two other letters, which set two Nazareth nuns marveling. To Sister Robert Ann, he said, The cross, in some form or other, is the gilt-edged guarantee of God's special love. A seeming contradiction, yet absolutely true. For proof we have only to look at the lives of our Lord, Our Lady, St. Joseph, and the other saints. 
I seldom see God's reasons for things, but my trust in his love must remain firm. I will not make a sour face, sister, for, as St. Leo says, not to thank God for everything is to reprove him for something. I don't want to do that. To Sister Mary Laurentia he wrote, Do not worry, sister. I am resolved to meet just whatever God wills. If I can think of anything to help me within God's law, I will use it. If not, I will remain as a little child who has no worries, no possessions, no anxieties, no preoccupations about the past or future. Many times his ways in my regard have appeared mysterious, and right now certain of his dealings seem strange and contrary, not only to all human prudence, but even to justice. Yet I shall never waver for a single instant, never doubt that his love and wisdom are directing all. Joseph was sold by his brethren out of envy, then falsely accused of a shameful crime and cast into prison unjustly. But all these were stepping stones to the throne of Egypt. So, too, shall I hope against hope and abandon myself to the boundless love of my Heavenly Father, with the complete abandon of a little child, who amid the fury of the greatest storm rests fearlessly in the arms of his mother. Write when you feel like it, sister. I will continue to keep you in my prayers. Thanks for everything. Your friend in Christ, at the right of the cross. P.S. Father Lewis wrote me Holy Communion this morning, so remember to thank God for his goodness in granting me this divine privilege. Those lines lighted the usually expressionless face of Sister Mary Laurentia with a grateful smile and made her lift her head heavenward. Thank you, God, for all you have done and are doing for this boy. End of chapter 9